the, the, the encouraging things and even the hard things in God's words are so good for us and give us life. Well, we used to have a sign up in our home. I don't think we do now. I don't, can't remember that it's anywhere right now anyway, but it's a, it was a sign that said, It's a Wonderful Life, obviously from the Jimmy Stewart Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. And there are wonderful things about life, for sure. Uh, but that sign always kind of bothered me just a little bit uh, because it is more what we want life to be than what it actually is. On the other hand, the Bible always tells it like it is. It tells us of the wonders and goodness of life, tells us of the wonders of knowing Christ, but it also tells us the hard realities of that life. It never lies to us. God never lies to us. And so we come to verse 1 of chapter 3. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. This scripture begins with a, a command. This is a commandment to, to understand, to know, to be aware, to realize that something is going to happen in the last days, difficult, perilous, hard times will come. And this is not a new message. If you've been with us, uh, particularly through the teaching of 1 and 2 Timothy, Timothy, this has been Paul's message to Timothy all along. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now this passage this morning is not talking about personal difficulties like your furnace goes out or you have a flat tire on the way to work. Uh, those things will happen. But what Paul is talking about here is the difficulty of living in the midst of an ungodly people. He describes a last days culture of people living against God and being against you if you love God. People who will attack the church and attack the truth and oppose the things that we value and love. And the result will be difficult times for all who desire to live godly lives. And failure to be aware of this will leave you vulnerable to despair, to disillusionment, to defeat, and maybe even abandoning the faith. Having your eyes wide open to what is coming will, on the other hand, fortify you. It will prepare you. It will strengthen you. It will make you strong. It will keep you safe. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that you will not fall away. So that you will not Abandon your faith. That's John 16, 1. Now, the ESV uh, calls this situation, this last day's culture uh, that is coming, it calls it times of difficulty. The, the NIV calls it terrible times. The King James and the New King James say perilous times. 
the reason I think that there's so many different words used to describe this because it, it does mean difficult times, but it's, it, in a sense it means very difficult times. Uh, Matthew used this very same word to describe two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, and he said they were so violent, or some translations say so fierce that no one could pass that way. Well, that word that Matthew used for these violent or fierce demon-possessed men is the same word that Paul uses here to describe, to describe these difficult times that are coming for believers. So Paul is not saying that things will get just a little rough. I, I, for some reason, when I think of the word difficult, I think of something that might be a little hard, but not that hard. Well, Paul, he's not, he's not saying that. He's not saying things will be just a little rough. He's saying things will be extremely severe and turbulent. There will be turbulent times ahead. So, when are these last days? Well, there are scriptures that describe the entire present age as the last days. For example, Hebrews 1-2 says, In these last days, God has spoken to us in his Son. And if you remember Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, he talks about with now the Holy Spirit being poured out and all these signs that were taking place on believers. Uh, he referred to a, test, a, a, a scripture from Joel that said, in these last days, this kind of thing was going to happen. So in this sense, uh, the last days are all the days from the time of Christ to the very end of the age. And things will be difficult for believers this entire time. But here Paul specifically speaks of difficult times ahead or to come. Uh, verse 13 says, but evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse. In other words, it seems like Paul is saying things are difficult or bad right now, but they will even get worse. They, there will be even more difficult days ahead for the church and for believers. Some take this to apply uh, mainly or, or even only to the days immediately before Christ returns to judge the world and to take us home. And without a doubt, this verse certainly does include those days. But Paul doesn't get that specific, and so I don't think we should either. I think we should just stick with what Paul said here that difficult days are coming. It's in a sense, this is a watchword for all believers for, for all time to be prepared. In the last days, terrible times will come. Well, what will make the last days so difficult? It is people. It is ungodly people who do not love God. They love themselves and their money and their pleasures rather than God. And Paul says they will be arrogant, brutal, cruel, intolerant, treacherous, and a whole bunch of other things. These people will bring terrible times upon believers. 
in the words of Revelation, they will make war on the saints. These people will lead the persecution and the silencing of God's people. So difficult times in this passage clearly means strong opposition to God's people and to God's truth. That is what makes them difficult times for believers. And just a few verses later, again, not in this passage, but just a few verses later, it says, Indeed, or for sure, certainly, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, I am not going to get into prophecy uh, and the book of Revelation and all of that, but regardless of how you interpret the book of Revelation, it vividly describes a totalitarian, intolerant world system that hates God and oppresses and even kills Christians. And probably the uh, clearest passage on this is the, the, personif- the beast who's per- personified in, in Revelation 13. In Revelation 13, in verses 7 through 9, it says the beast was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And John goes on to say, if anyone, he's talking to believers, to Christians, if any of you have an ear to hear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive he, to captivity, he will go. If anyone is to be slain with the, sword, with the sword, he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. And then John went on to say that, that those who will not worship the beast will be slain. And those who will not accept his mark on their right hand or forehead cannot buy anything or sell anything. John in the book of Revelation, like Paul here in 2 Timothy, was clearly preparing the saints for extremely difficult days to come. So, what are these ungodly characteristics that will make life so hard for the saints? Well, Paul says terrible times are coming because or for people will be lovers of self. And then he goes down a whole list of things. And because this is the word of God, we are going to take the patience and the time to go through each one of them. There's a reason that Paul has these things here for us. So the, but the first one is lovers of self. Terrible times are coming on God's people because people, cultural. In general, mankind will be lovers of self. The greatest commandment, Jesus said, is to love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And that is what we were made for. But our culture tells us just the opposite. It tells us over and over to love yourself, even to worship yourself. Your favorite thing should be you. That's what our culture actually preaches, teaches, and says over and over. But there's a problem with that. This love of self leads to being completely absorbed with self, completely immersed in self and a person's own feelings and wants and desires. And ultimately, that leads to sinning against God 
and a willingness to be heartless and cruel to others. People who love themselves will lead the way in persecuting those who love God. People will be lovers of money. The love of money leads people to justify cruel and unjust or unjust treatment of others. People who love money instead of God will have no problem whatsoever persecuting the saints. They're not concerned about the well-being of of Christians. They're concerned about their money. They love money. As long as the ungodly can hold on to their own money and their own possessions, they will have no problem ruining the finances and the livelihood of God's people. It won't bother them a bit because... They are lovers of money. People will be proud, arrogant, and abusive, and on down the list, just to put things, combine a few of these together, Paul said they will be swollen with conceit. In the Psalms, David complains how the proud made his life very difficult. Psalm 119.51, the arrogant mocked me unmercifully, but I do not turn from your law. Psalm 36, 11, let not the foot of the proud come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. Proud people seek to put you under their feet. That's why David prayed, let not the foot of the proud come upon me. Proud people seek to put you under their feet and, and crush you e- emotionally or financially or in many other ways. They dominate you and abuse others because they think their viewpoint is all that matters. And again, it's the proud and the arrogant, those who are swollen with deceit, which will saturate our culture. And again, they will have no problem in silencing the saints and abusing the saints in the last days. Disobedient to parents. Paul said homes will be in turmoil in the last days. Children will not honor their parents. Uh, broken relationships between fathers and children marked, marked the days before the first coming of Christ, and they will mark, that will mark the last days as well. Paul says here in the book of Malachi, verse, chapter 4, verse 6, the Lord said, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with total devastation. So this rebellion in the home will characterize the last days. Next, Paul said people will be ungrateful. That may not seem like a big sin, but it actually is in Romans actually described it as as one of the first or foundational sins of men against God. They are no longer grateful. They are ungrateful. Ingratitude is a terrible sin against God, and it makes for terrible times. Uh, Interesting, we studied in in our uh, men's study in the book of Jude. Jude described false teachers as grumblers, malcontents, following their own desires. In other words, ungrateful people. And when an entire culture is ungrateful, 
depression and selfishness and rebellion against God runs rampant. People will be unholy. It's the next thing that Paul said. Unholy people are they're people who live apart from God. They live as if there were no God. They have no fear of God. And unholy people are not restrained from doing evil. I mean, if there if there is no sense of holiness in their life, there is nothing to keep them from doing evil things. And unholy people will have no problem being involved in the persecution of the church and of God's people. Next, Paul said people will be unloving, irreconcilable, and malicious slanderers. That's actually from the New American Standard, which, again, this is most familiar to me in that, in that translation. Unloving, irreconcilable, malicious slanderers. I think, I think the, new, uh, the King James says without natural affection. Unloving, heartless, and unappeasable, the ESV says. You see, without God, people eventually become cold and heartless. They become capable of cruelty without empathy. People will be without self-control. In, in the last days, people will not control their appetites for pleasure or food or alcohol or sex or money. And government leaders, people in power, will not restrain their lust for power and their desire to control other people. And Christians will suffer under that lack of restraint in people's lusts and appetites. Not loving what is good. People will not love what is good. And in fact, they will turn and hate those who do love what is good. And even today, Christians are, are hated for loving what is good in marriage and what the Bible teaches about sexuality and the sanctity of life and Paul would indicate this is just going to continue to increase. People will be treacherous, or uh, some translations say brutal. People will be treacherous and reckless. Uh, they'll, they'll be willing, willing to harm others without a thought, without a, shred, without a shred of, of guilt. It's not going to bother them at all. They'll be tre- treacherous or brutal and reckless. They will lie, cheat, and do anything to hurt and silence those they disagree with. People will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You know, I'm constantly uh, amazed, maybe maybe if that's quite the right word, but I'm, I'm struck, I guess I'll say, struck in the reading of Scripture how often it describes the mark of the believer as those who love God. All things work together for those who love God. Believers are those who love God. And as we love God, God gives us so many good things and wonderful things and pleasures to enjoy every day. But loving pleasure instead of God or in the place of God is the mark of the world. 
People will have time for pleasure, but they will not have time for God. And they will perceive Christians as getting in the way of their pleasures. They will perceive Christians as teaching things that would restrict or hinder their pleasures, and they won't like that because they love pleasures. They love their pleasures rather than God. Finally, they have an appearance of godliness, but they will deny its power. I actually wish I could give a whole message on this. Someday I might, but such, such, such a, a, a powerful and insightful truth. People will have an appearance of godliness, or the New American Standard says they will have a, a form of godliness, but they will deny its power. Uh, people will talk about God, but they will want nothing to do with a God who has the power to make them holy. They will want nothing to do with a God who will make them godly. They will want, they will want nothing to do with this inner transformation that comes by the invasion of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Spirit into a human heart and makes us brand new people. They're not interested in that kind of religion. They want a religion that condones whatever they want to do and to leave them just as they are without the radical change that the power of God brings into a person's life. And even within the church, many people are, out, are satisfied with outward religious practices, but they do not want the power of God or the power of the Spirit. And if we are not aware that this will happen more and more, we will be confused and deceived by this hollow, formal, and false kind of spirituality. So just, just like the passage that jo- Josh read this morning, I mean, do not be deceived. You know, when people are doing evil things, don't, you know, don't be deceived and think, well, they're, they're children of God because they s- use these words. And, and don't, do not be deceived because people have some sort of outward attachment to, to church or to some kind of religion or use religious words, uh, Christian words and phrases. Don't be deceived by that. They're just holding an outward form. It's all outward to them. It's all mental. It's all, it's all a form. It's an appearance. Christianity is about the power of God and knowing the power of God in the human heart. Well, Paul said, understand, going back to the beginning of this passage, he said, understand this, difficult times will come or persecution will come because people will be like this, like, like the things that we just went over. So why do we need to know this? Why do we need to know these things? Well, going back to the beginning of what I said, I think mainly so that we will not be disillusioned or defeated when these things happen more and more all around us. Again, Jesus, after describing what difficult things would be ahead for his disciples, said, I have told you these things so that you will not fall away or so that you will not abandon your faith. So again, this is to fortify you. It's to make you strong. In a sense, it, it is to 
toughen you up. It's to toughen your faith. It's to make you strong for what is coming. It's, it's, it's to inure you, inure you or to be inured against hard times. <clears throat> A second benefit, which is not uh, mentioned here and is really not the, the main purpose at all of this passage, but I think a, a benefit for, for us in, in studying these and going over each one of these qualities, which I did in detail this morning, a second benefit is so that we can watch against these qualities or tendencies in our own lives. I mean, if you just read down this list, uh, these are all things to flee from. I mean, these are things that, that believers should flee from like the plague. And so this is just, this is just a, a, a fantastic list of what not to be like, okay? And I think you can read it like that. You can, you can read it and say, wow, I, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. I don't, I don't want to be unholy. I don't want to be ungrateful. I don't want to be brutal. I don't want to be cruel. I don't want to be lover of pleasure rather than love of God. I don't want to have an outward form of religion but deny, deny the power. Every one of these things you can go down and say, may that never be a part of my life. I don't want that at all. A third uh, reason for this scripture is, the, is that we are to be prepared for these kind of people to saturate our culture and to affect your life. In other words, we are not to be naive. We're, we're to be prepared for these kind of people to, uh, to affect us to make life hard for us, to make for difficult times for us and for the church. And we're, we're to have our eyes wide open that this is where uh, persecution is going to come from. And fourth, fourth reason for this uh, description in the, is actually the, the application that Paul himself gives us here in this passage, which is so brief that we might have missed it. What does Paul say at the end of this list? He says, avoid such people. Again, that's New American Standard, the one that's in my head. <laughs> but avoid such people or uh, turn away, the ESV says, turn away from such people. And you know what? As believers, we're not used to hearing a message like that. We're, we're, not, we're never told to turn away from anybody. <laughs> you know, and we're, we're, we're not used to that. Maybe we may not even, even like that. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't love people. That shouldn't mean that we shouldn't lay down our lives, shouldn't be concerned about the loss. I'm not talking about that. But there are people who are so committed to ungodliness that are so opposed to God, so opposed to his truth, that we're just to turn away from them. We're to avoid them. Sadly, many Christians do not turn away from such people. Instead, many even idolize them or listen to them or listen to their music or follow them or seek to look like them or to be like them or to act like them. And too often, the proud and the arrogant people who hate God are our cultural heroes. And Christians fall into that along with the rest of the culture without realizing 
that these are the very people who will be the first to cheer when your rights are taken away, when you are silenced, or you lose your job for your faith. These people won't stand up for you when they come to take away your business, when you are thrown in prison, or even if that day would come when they come to kill us. These people won't be there to defend you. They'll be right alongside and cheering on the persecution and the intolerance against the church of God. Psalm 1-1, How blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, to distance yourself from people who are committed to a path of ungodliness and immorality does not mean that you are being self-righteous or that you're being holier than thou or that you have a holier than thou attitude toward other people. It is obedience to God. It's just obeying God, what he tells us here. It's knowing, it's having wisdom, it's having discernment who to stay away from. And then verse 6, Paul gives another reason for avoiding people like this. And his, his logic it just flows so precisely through this, this passage. Difficult days are, are coming because people will be like this. Avoid them. And then he says we avoid them for or, get, or because... Because among them are those who creep into households and will sow falsehood, which we're going to look at. Now, he, does, he, doesn't say the, he doesn't say that everybody, doesn't say that all people, all wicked people, all ungodly people are like this. But he says among them will be those who creep into households. Uh, among these kind of people, these proud, treacherous, who love themselves and their money rather than God, are those who will seek to seduce households or homes into false ideas. And then Paul describes I, a, a scenario that I think he has probably seen many times. He talks about how they creep into uh, homes or households, often deceiving the women first and then no doubt getting to the husband, just like Satan's tactic through Eve and then to Adam. And today, not as much. We have people going door to door like um, was apparently happening in Paul's day, although that does happen. But today, these people enter homes through television, through uh, the internet, through social media, and they spread these ideas uh, that are opposed to the truth. So what makes a person vulnerable to this tactic? Well, Paul tells us. He says, he refers to women, and I think it, it, it's, this, is, this is a special warning for women, but it applies to all people. People who are burdened with sins, led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to, to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. So first, I'm just going to go through these real quickly. First, thing that makes people vulnerable are people who are burdened with sin. God's law and our own conscience condemns sin. And that produces an inner shame 
and guilt which people try to silence. But that inner shame and, and guilt opens people up to almost any kind of teaching to relieve that burden and they become prime targets for deception. <clears throat> so these women that Paul is referring to, they feel a need for something more, for something to relieve their inner pain and unhappiness and they become open to whatever comes along that promises to relieve that. But when we experience the deep and true cleansing from our sins by the blood of Jesus, we are no longer looking for something else to cleanse us and make us whole. Then Paul says the other thing that makes people vulnerable is those who are led, by, led astray by various passions <clears throat> or desires. People led by their passions want to hear things that will allow them to pursue those passions. They want to hear things that will allow them to remain or continue in those lusts or passions. They do not want a gospel message that delivers them from the power of sin. They do not want a gospel message that would teach them to say no to sinful passions. So they are open to those who oppose the truth that would allow them to continue on in their present way of living. Verse 7, there is, is the, 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 the third characteristic that makes people vulnerable to these things. Verse 7, they are always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. And this is a heartbreaking reality often right right in the church. People hearing the truth, maybe going to Bible studies, hearing good teaching, and yet always uncertain and unclear about the fundamental truths of the gospel and of our faith. And for whatever reason, they, they don't fully understand the, the glory of the gospel. They are not satisfied with the new and living way that Christ opened up to us to the Father. And so they're, they're susceptible to new things that come along other than that. Always learning but never quite arriving at a knowledge of sound teaching or a knowledge of the truth. And Paul goes on to describe these seducers uh, and those who oppose the truth. And he uses an Old Testament example, verse 8. He says, Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. Now, if you go back to your Old Testament and try to find Janus and Jambres in the Old Testament stories, you will not find them. But in the Jewish tradition and in some Jewish writings, Janus and Jambres were the two magicians who battled Moses, miracle against miracle in Exodus 7, when Moses stood before Pharaoh. And the point here is simply that just as or like Janice and Jambres opposed Moses 
there are people today who oppose the truth. Moses was opposed. God's people today will be opposed. Moses was opposed. If you are a servant of Christ, you also will be opposed, just like Janice and Jambres opposed Moses. You know, people may hide their motives uh, by using Christian words and phrases. They may talk about love and peace and justice and tolerance, but inwardly, they oppose the truth. Inward, just like Janice and Jambres, they oppose what the word clearly teaches. And we need to be ready for that. This whole, this whole talk from Paul here is to prepare us. It's, I mean, it's like a coach talking to a football team before they go out on the field and say, you know, guys, it's going to be rough. It's going to be tough. We're going to have to fight. I don't know. I've never played football, so I've never listened to a coach's speech. But you know what I mean. It's preparing us for war. Okay? Well, then Paul ends this what we might consider a rather dark passage with this note of encouragement. Verse 9, which after all that Paul has said, I love this. I love this. But they will not get very far. Yeah, hallelujah. They will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. In other words, Paul's saying false teachers those who are opposed to the truth eventually will get exposed. Uh, and, and it happens a lot. You see it. I mean, the peop- they get caught in their greed. They ca- get caught in their greed for money and riches and their uh, scheme to get rich becomes ex- ex- exposed. Or they get caught in their sexual immorality. Uh, or they preach something that is just so bizarre that it exposes their foolishness they eventually get caught. So Paul says, but they will not get very far. And I don't think this applies only to, to the false teachers. It's just the, the culture, the, the, the last day's culture, the people who do not love God with, with all of their agenda and their efforts to make life painful and difficult and to persecute, a Christ, persecute Christians, there, there's gonna be an end to that. They're not going to get very far. There's an end. Difficult times will not last. Difficult times are coming, Paul says, and we need to be aware of it, but they're not the last chapter in God's story for us, and we should never think it is. We should never live with this kind of pessimism that only difficult times are ahead. We need to know that but it's not the end. They will not get very far. Evil people will not prevail. Janus and Jambres did not win. Moses won. And in the same way, God's truth and God's people will always prevail in the end. And that's just what Paul wrote to Timothy. Remember, if we endure, if we endure with Christ, we will also reign with Christ. That's the end of the story. That's what is ahead. And just as Paul promised in Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So be of good courage. Be strong and be of good courage. Amen. Let's pray.
Let's stand and pray. And then we're going to remain in your seats then and we'll have uh, uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Father, we, we thank you that you love us enough to tell us the truth. God, we thank you that you never lie to us.